Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And my first story is animal news. This is from a website called petapixel.com that I have, okay. I have learned about for the first time. It seems to be uh, photography focused. Uh, the headline reads, Photo of Fox Scaring Marmot Wins Wildlife Photographer of the Year 2019. Whoa. It's a, it's, a, it's a photograph of a fox scaring a marmot. If you don't know what a marmot is, it's kind of like a little groundhog-looking animal. Is it like a squirrel? No, it's like a groundhog? Wait, it's more similar it's to a round? groundhog. Okay. Yeah. It it's actually looks a lot like a groundhog. Um, I'll show you okay. the, I'll show yeah, you the picture Yeah, I have to look itself, at, a, at a picture because I can't remember <laughs> right um, now in my head. But uh, this... Uh, the article says a photo of a marmot being spooked by a fox has been selected as the winner of the prestigious wildlife photographer of the year 2019 competition uh, titled the moment the image was captured by photographer uh, Yang King Bao of China. Uh, the competition describes the shot as a powerful frame of both humor and horror that captures the drama and intensity of nature. Oh, I'm excited to see this. I know. I'm really. I'm going to talk it up, and then I'll show you the photo. <laughs> um, and this, uh, st- the following statement comes from Roz Kidman Cox, who is the chair of the judging panel. Um, All right. And I think he's British, so let's just go with that. Photographically, it is quite simply the perfect moment. The expressive intensity of the postures holds you transfixed, and the thread of energy between the raised paws seems to hold the protagonists in perfect balance. Images from the King High Tibet Plateau are rare enough, but have captured such a powerful interaction between a Tibetan fox and a marmot, two species key to the ecology of this high grassland region, is extraordinary. You did that so well. I'm so happy right now. Thank you. I, just, I don't know why I don't break out my accents more often. <laughs> yeah, you really should. <laughs> um, I don't. It was just like it's such a, a ridiculous way of describing this. Yeah. <laughs> the raised paws seem yeah, to hold like, the protagonists in perfect balance. It's like, like calm down, so, Ross. Yeah. <laughs> it's so like I'm just like imagining this British like this guy in this like library with like mahogany wood with his hand like, on a book. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like he's standing next to a desk. And his hand is resting on a book on the desk, and he's describing this photo. And you walk in, and you're like, in this setting, yeah, that photo's pretty cool. But if I had just seen this outside, I would have been like, oh, cool photo. Yeah, so It's this, like very talked up. This is the picture. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. <laughs> Wait, that cannot be real. It is. It looks like a cartoon. It does. Like... <laughs> so- the marmot is essentially standing on one of its hind legs with the what? other one kind of like crossed over in front. Like it was just like caught on like It looks unawares, like it walks like, on two legs and it's like, oh. Ah, ah. Wait, like, I want to see it again. I want to see it again. I, I cannot believe that someone captured that on it's, film. Like, it's amazing. I, I understand why that won the prize, but also it just makes it that much funnier the way that it's being described. <laughs> exactly. That's why I didn't want to show you first. And just like... <laughs> But also, just from a, fear, a pure uh, like photography standpoint, it's like incredibly clear. Like the subjects are in complete focus, but like you can tell, there's a lot of motion that would have been happening in this moment. So it's yes. just impressive from a technological standpoint, even. So um, there are, and I, I, once we share the article, I highly recommend checking it out because there's photos of all the other winners, and there are some just truly astounding photographs in there. Um, what? 
like organization was this or uh, so I was about to get to that uh-huh. um, uh, the contest is, is developed and produced by the Natural History Museum in London um, so that's who puts on this uh, this competition um, over 48,000 entries were submitted to the contest this year from 100 county uh, countries around the world um, and winning f- uh, photographs will be exhibited at the Natural History Museum and will then tour the world through countries such as Canada, Spain, the USA, Australia, and Germany. So theoretically, they might be coming to a city near you and you can see these photos in person. Wow. But yeah, I thought it's, it's an incredible photo, but also hilarious. That it's, yeah, like the, f- I, I just don't, know how an animal was even in that position yeah. at all. So the fact that that happened and it was caught on camera is mm-hmm. incredible. I mean, my, my guess is that it was caught like mid-jump and that was like it twisting to get away, but it just was captured at the exact right moment. Yeah, that's probably what happened. It's so funny and it's so awesome at the same time. Oh, like, funny. Wow. Also, I don't think I've ever seen a Tibetan fox. They have a very long face. It's, yeah. a, it's an interesting looking animal. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, super cool. Yeah. Like I said, highly recommend when we share that link, which we will, as we always do, mm-hmm. definitely look at it because there's even more photos and they're just incredible. Okay, my first story is entertainment news. Okay, this story is really short, but I had to because of what it is. The headline is Pope accidentally tweets support for New Orleans Saints. <laughs> All right, my next story is. <laughs> um, I found this on UPI, um, and it's just that it's like the New Orleans Saints are giving thanks for some help after Pope Francis accidentally tweeted in support of their team, and he apparently they like canonized some new saints into the Catholic religion. Okay, recently or this week or something, and he from like the official Pope Twitter account, which. On its own is just funny that it exists. I don't know why it just is to yeah, me. Yeah, there's something there's something there. There's something <laughs> there's just something comical about that. But there, this tweet went out and it's like today we give thanks to the Lord for our new saints and they they did hashtag saints and it automatically linked it to like the, the team and it put like a it automatically put like a little emoji of like yeah. their like symbol and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know Twitter has like that feature where if you use certain like, hashtags it'll it'll, it'll like decorate them yeah it like automatically put that emoji on it and stuff and so now he's like we give thanks for the saints and it's the team (laughs) (laughs) that was the whole story these are the unexpected consequences of technology that they warned us about (laughs) i know (laughs) these are the downsides i mean yeah or you know what maybe you know maybe the pope is a big saints fan and he was just too shy to say before. <laughs> Maybe he is, and this was his like secret, subtle way of like, oh, it was a mistake, but actually he's a Saints fan. I mean, you never know. But I'm not going to delete it because it's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a lot of people are just laughing, and I wanted to share this. <laughs> now I'm one of them. <laughs> My next story is AI news. This is uh, actually it's less of a story and more of a, a paper that was 
published, I guess. Okay. Um, it's from a website called OpenAI, and the title of the paper is Solving Rubik's Cube with a Robot Hand. Ooh. Um, so the authors of this paper trained a pair of neural networks to solve the Rubik's Cube puzzle, which everyone is familiar with, uh, with a human-like robot hand, like a single robot hand solving the puzzle just by manipulating the cube with just five just, fingers. Wow. Um, and the, the training has been going on since May of 2017, uh, they got it working in a simulation in, I think they said like July of that year, but it's taken until now for them to like translate those results into an actual physical robot, robotic hand. Okay. Um, uh, so they pointed out that solving a Rubik's cube uh, one-handed is a challenging task, even for humans. I mean, yeah, I, I can't even. Honestly, I was just about to point out, like, I feel like I'm more impressed by the fact right? that it's doing it with one hand than than. That it's actually that it's solving, solving it. it. Yeah. Like, how do you do? Like, I can't do a Rubik's cube with one hand. Uh, and they point out that it also takes children several years to gain the dexterity to to do that. Like it, and I mean, I, I'm, I I've never tried. I'm 28, like, and I still can't. I I think if I picked one up right now, I wouldn't really easily be able to do that with one no, hand. I don't even know how to solve one two-handed so that's that's my own shame uh the robot still hasn't perfected its technique and only solves the cube 60 percent of the time and they pointed out later in the article that a failure is considered if it times out after a certain amount of time or if it drops it oh so they said like it will eventually solve it given an infinite amount of time or if they like put it back in the hand after okay um and they said it only solves it 20 percent of the time for a maximally difficult scramble which is one that requires, I think, like 25 or 26 turns, whereas like the average one requires about 15. I anyway, don't know that number, but I, just I believe liked, you. I liked the term maximally difficult scramble. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like yeah, something you I get like at that Bob too. Evans. <laughs> yeah, I was like... It's like scrambled eggs filled that like glass. on the breakfast menu? It's, <laughs> it's filled with fish bones. Oh, no. <laughs> Why do they just have the bones? Um... To train the simulation that would inform the physical robot, the authors developed a new method they called automatic domain randomization, um, which is building on a technique called domain randomization, where the simulation starts with a single non-randomized environment, so like just hand Rubik's Cube, nothing like unusual about it. Um, as the neural network gets better at the task and reaches a performance he- a threshold, the amount of domain randomization is increased automatically. That is, they start like playing with parameters of the world um, in a way that it has to learn to adapt to those changes. Hmm. And this is all in the simulation still. Um, some of the things they randomized included, uh, included the size and mass of the cube, uh, the friction of the f- robot's fingers, mm-hmm. and the surface materials of the hand. So basically they just trained the simulation in a like increasingly random like environment like with things interrupting it and that kind of and that kind of thing and they it would would increase automatically over time so as soon as it got good enough at something they would make it harder which sounds kind of like robot torture Uh, but let's breeze past the ethical concerns uh (laughs) <laughs> the randomization allows the system to handle situations that it never actually saw during training. And they have a series of GIFs in the article that I found very amusing. Um, some of the things that they did, they put a, ro- a rubber glove on the hand, they tied two of its fingers together, um, and they prodded it with a stuffed giraffe. <laughs> what? Like a stuffed animal. There's what? And there's a GIF of just like it trying to solve the rescue, and then a stuffed giraffe's head just comes in from out of frame and just starts poking it. It's why? A, why would that? 
cause it an issue, actually. It turns out it it's doesn't. Like a soft I mean, giraffe it's, it, in all these like, situations, it was able to adapt because it had been trained in so many different variations of this environment. All um, right. And their conclusion from all this is that it shows that reinforcement learning isn't just a tool for virtual tasks, but it can solve physical world problems requiring unprecedented dexterity. Um, I want to show you at least like a little bit of this hand. Okay. It's, and this is an, <laughs> I'm going to be saying this a lot this week, but when we share the links, you should go and watch the video because <laughs> it's, it's something else entirely to actually see this thing in action. Um, yeah, that sounds super cool. That. Okay, I'm sorry, the giraffe one. I just can't. It's, I just can't take it seriously. It makes me. It makes me so happy. It's just so. <laughs> this is like a giraffe out of nowhere. When you kind of look at it too, and it's it's not immediately clear how it's even like but, solving yeah, it because it's, it's it's just, just kind of, of moving the fingers in a way that doesn't look like it has a whole lot of rhyme or reason. Right. But then, like suddenly, it turns it, and oh, all of a sudden, one of the faces is all one color. Yeah. It's kind it's, of wild to watch. It's fascinating. My fi- my favorite thing about these gifts is that they call each of the things a perturbation. <laughs> like they put a blanket, they put a blanket over it and call it blanket occlusion and perturbation. <laughs> plush giraffe, just like plush giraffe a perturbation. <laughs> <laughs> they put a pen in its hand, also pen perturbation. <laughs> it's just like it's, it's so like, scientific. Oh, if you want to yeah. know more about this, like it's it's literally a Super paper. Cool. It's a paper that you can access, of which will be what we'll link. And cool, they go into a lot more technical detail and have graphs and different examples and everything. It's it's really fascinating and I they I thought they made it really easy to understand even for somebody who's not familiar. Okay, with good. The technology. So nice. Um I would recommend looking it up. It's and it just it's 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 so cool to see like us being able to teach robots things like this that they yeah. can like manipulate a hand in a human way to solve like a puzzle that is even difficult for humans. Did they talk about like what this type of, I guess, algorithm or technology or whatever, like other types of applications that aren't just like solving acute. Like, did they postulate anything? Like, yeah, I mean, oh, I think, maybe you I know. think their long-term goal is to uh, allow robots to essentially learn how to manipulate hands to accomplish a task without having to be explicitly trained on that task. Okay, like, yeah, learning how to use hands in a way that. Like without having to explicitly it, train them every single right, possible like, hand motion that you might need. Teaching them to pick up a glass without them necessarily know like being trained in that, just like knowing that they can use a hand to grip a thing. Like yeah. that kind of thing. Okay. So it sounds it's like cool. it has some cool and terrifying uh implications and I don't know. I'm still it's ex- exciting. I'm, I'm excited. It's exciting. I'm excited. Okay, my next story is science news. This is from HuffPost. Scientists in Japan have discovered a clever way to reduce the need for using pesticides on livestock, which I didn't even know was a thing before I read this article, but apparently it is, to keep flies off of them. Okay. A study published in the journal Plus One, our favorite journal. Yeah, I love Plus One. (laughs) Um, The study found that painting zebra-like stripes on cows... (laughs) Significantly reduced attacks by biting flies, providing a means of defending livestock against flies without pesticides. That's actually really brilliant because that's how that's like one of the purposes of zebra stripes in the wild. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah. So they were like, "Wait a minute, why don't we just take the stripes and put them on a cow?" That's what they did. Um, 
The study's inspiration came from past experiments that suggested the striped coast of zebras and black and white surfaces in general attracted fewer flies than solid black, um, which is the color of the cows that they were studying. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, flies are less likely to land on black and white surfaces due to the polarization of the light, which impairs their perception. At least that's what this study said. Um, and researchers found that the zebra-painted cattle were bitten nearly 50% less than the solid black animals. That's a, I mean... So it was a really significant change. Yeah. Turn them from black to half black, half white, and reduce it by half. Yeah. Um, so this also... <laughs> yes! <laughs> it's stripe math. <laughs> it's... I mean, <laughs> just half change the color on half of them. Half the flies go away. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. What if they paint them entirely white? Will that make them all go away? They should try that next. It won't work. No, that's not. No, that's not. That's not why. Um, so, a little bit of background on this problem: uh, the insects interfere with cattle grazing and feeding, increasing uh, fly repelling behaviors like foot stamping and head throwing, um, and it can cause cattle to bunch together, which increases heat stress and risk of injury. So, like, all of that stuff can be caused by, like, a fly problem with your cattle. Okay. Um, and fly bites are estimated to cost the livestock industry billions of dollars every year because of all like, the issues that they cause. Mm-hmm. Um, the researchers wrote this. This work provides an alternative to the use of conventional pesticides for mitigating biting fly attacks on livestock that improves animal welfare and human health in addition to helping resolve the problem of pesticide resistance in the environment. So... There's lots of cool benefits to this technique. Yeah. Just, all you have to do is paint just, your just cows. Do, all you got to do is paint your cows. Black and white. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wonder if it would be sufficient to just put like a blanket on them that had stripes or something too. I feel like there's a, I feel like there's a market here for a new product. So you don't have to directly paint your cows. Yeah. That would make a lot of sense. If they just put like a cover on them and I didn't like right. paint them. Yeah. It's like a book cover. Book cover blank. Book cover blank. Book cover cow blanket is what I was going to say. <laughs> Apparently that's a tongue twister. Yeah. Um, because it's a, thought, it's a thought that nobody's ever had before. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to bring up a discussion point. Um, okay. What else can we paint black and white to avoid flies? <laughs> uh, us, maybe. Us? Yeah. Like people? Yeah. Do you have a fly biting problem? <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been bitten. I was thinking like the outside of a house. Like, don't come over here, fly. Like, you know, you know, like you open the door and flies just come to, in your house. What if we just painted everything black and white? All flies would get exhausted because they'd be afraid to land on everything and then, then they just all die. Yeah. We could do that. What benefit do flies have in the environment other than sure. being food for random animals? Yeah, they're definitely a food source. I don't know if they pollinate things. I don't think they really I've do. never heard that. But That's actually an interesting question. Yeah. Is it just bees? And like butterflies? I don't know. Now I want to know if flies pollinate things. Flies might be useful. I'm not sure. Because if they don't pollinate things, what do they do other than just being food? That's a good point. I don't know. Yeah. Wasps don't do anything though. So if we could find a way to confuse Yeah, if we could find a way to confuse them to death, I'd be down for that. Me too. This show not brought to you by wasps. Wasps. (laughs) (laughs) My next story is technology news. This comes from Time, the magazine, not the concept. Uh, (laughs) Trusting guy lets the internet decorate his room. 
Okay. A young man's crowdsourcing mission went viral after he created a Twitter bot with one goal. Let strangers on the internet choose what he should purchase to decorate his new room by tweeting him with the links to those items. So it would tweet him the links to the items and then they would automatically be purchased or? Yes. So his his bot works like this. For every unique Amazon link the bot uh, receives and that gets the most likes, it responds by purchasing the item automatically every 15 minutes. So basically it goes through the list of links it received, the ones with the most likes, like at the end of a 15-minute cycle, it buys that unless it's already bought that before. Um, and there's also a price limit of $25 per item. So oh, okay. I was about was, to be like, yeah. how is this I was person also, doing this? Well, it's this? funny because they didn't include that in the in the article itself. It was in the video that he posted. So Uh-oh. I didn't realize that until I watched it. Okay. I was like, that seems like a bad way to set yourself up to go into colossal debt. Yeah. Um, but anyway, his original tweet just said, use Twitter to decorate my room. <laughs> Uh, and he posted a video, which again I'm going to recommend when we post the when we post the link, you should watch the video. It's actually really funny. <laughs> one of the so co- many things to watch. One of the choice quotes from the video is, "I don't know how to decorate anything. I could ask friends for help or ask an interior decorator, but that's social interaction, and I don't support it." <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. It, it's a pretty funny video. Um, and uh, it was up to nearly 4 million views by the morning after he posted <laughs> Oh, wow. That is fast. Um, and some of a couple of the items that ended up getting sent to him, and this, this article was posted back when he first posted it and like before it had all um, like been purchased. Okay. But one of the items was a Nicolas Cage face sequin pillow. Yes. So it's like one of those sequin pillows that you can like, and it had Nicolas Cage. And it Cage's, had Nicolas Cage on, on like the one side of it? On the one side of it, yeah. Um, and a poster of a woman with asthma. What? I mean, I don't know. That's random. <laughs> if it's if it's weird on Amazon and under twenty five dollars, the internet probably recommended it. Um, but I just thought this is such a wild idea. And like he had, and he didn't confirm any of the purchases. It just automatically bought the stuff and shipped it to his house. I love this. Right. But how long did he keep it running for? Just for twenty four hours. Oh, okay. It was yeah. So. Um, and is are there any like conclusions of like what the room looks like now? Well, it said on I checked the account right before we started recording, and uh, it said that he was going to post a video, like a YouTube video of what he ended up getting, but it still hasn't been posted. And this was like last oh, okay. Thursday, so I don't know where that's oh. going to be. Um, I hope he didn't just get all the stuff and was like, eh, "I don't like this and stuff." <laughs> That'd be sad. <laughs> he knew what he was getting into. <laughs> that's such a fun idea. Yeah, isn't it? It is. Like, it almost makes me want to do something similar just to, like, get a bunch of random stuff. Like, I mean, it's my own money, but still. Yeah, but, like, you set yourself some budget Mm -hmm. limit and say, like, decorate this bonus room in my house or something. Right. That is super fun. Granted, sometimes I buy things online so often that I forget what is going to be in each purchase. (laughs) So I get the package, and it's almost a little surprise anyway. you're like, wait, what did I order? And then you... (laughs) Oh. That is fun when that happens. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a really weird but neat idea. And, I, and I'm and i kind of hoping I can fi- track down whatever his conclusion was. I, I, yeah. I want to find out what items he got. I want to know, too. I'm super curious about that. Hopefully it wasn't, like, all pillows or, like, all, <laughs> like, too similar of an item that he couldn't really, like, fully decorate his room. You know what right. I'm saying? Yeah, like, I mean, it looked like kind of like a basic studio apartment from the video, so... Really, he just needed things to put on the walls and 
put on surfaces and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I imagine he could probably make do with whatever he ends up getting. Cool. What a, what a cool story to tell anyone who like comes and sees that room. <laughs> yeah. You like invite someone over and it's like, oh, this is such an interesting <laughs> aesthetic you have going here. It was decorated by Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Okay. My next story is space news. This is from the BBC, although it's about the U.S. Um, at an event at NASA headquarters in Washington, D.C., NASA unveiled the prototype for a new spacesuit that could be worn by the next astronauts on the moon. Ooh. NASA chief Jim Bridenstine shared a close-up look at the next-generation suits for the agency's Artemis program. The prototype suit looks similar to ones used at the International Space Station. But NASA said it has been improved for comfort, fit, and mobility on the moon. The new moon suit, which is known formally as the Exploration Extravehicular Mobility Suit, or XEMU, or maybe XEMU, XEMU, XEMU. How would you pronounce that? Oh, oh, I don't the know letter X. The letter X. Yeah. yeah, the letter X, and then an E and an M and then a U. Mm-hmm. So four letters. Yeah, I guess Zemu, warrior princess. <laughs> okay, Zemu um, is designed to give the wearer a customized fit, whatever their size. And that would be a significant shift from the current situation. So if you remember, earlier this year, mm-hmm. there was like a bunch of stuff happening because there was this all-female spacewalk, and some it had to be called off or someone couldn't go because the suits didn't like fit that person. Right. Um, because the spacesuits that we have haven't been redesigned in like I don't know how long, like a many long many time, years, yeah. and they're like not super. There's just better ways to do it, and they have fit issues where they have to like exchange certain parts, but it's not easy to to like swap those parts in and out. So this new design is supposed to be like a one size fits all kind of situation where they can adjust it, and so that mm-hmm. won't be a problem anymore. So that's kind of cool. Um, spacecraft engineer Amy Ross said the new suit would give astronauts more mobility in the shoulders, including the ability to reach overhead, which Apollo-era suits weren't capable of, apparently. Like, Hmm. they couldn't reach their arms all the way up. I'm like, really? Don't you need to do that for stuff? So now they can do the wave on the moon. Yeah. Um, And she reiterated that the new design would be, like, the one-size-fits-all situation. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And uh, here's what it looks like. So still not super stylish. No, I wouldn't say it's stylish. Um, I guess that can be the next thing they work on. But it is nice to see that they're addressing those concerns that like came up earlier, and yeah. they're doing something about it. That's always nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Like they, I think they clearly saw like, hey, this is an issue. We don't want to run into this again. So mm-hmm. they solved the problem That's by inventing good. Zemu. Zemu. Okay, it's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today. Or we're just posted today, and we read them to you on the fly. Marmot. Ready, set, go! All right, this is from UPI. Massive Massachusetts Ouija board breaks Guinness record. How big was the Ouija board? (laughs) This Ouija board measured 3,168 square feet. Oh, wow. This was, uh, it was in Salem, Massachusetts, where they constructed it, which is, I think, appropriate. Okay. Um, 
uh, Rich uh, Shrek. Wait, really? His last name is Shrek. <laughs> it's spelled differently, That's but it's fun. It's his last name is Shrek. He spent a year constructing the giant uh, giant Ouija board, which he called Ouijazilla. Which whatever. All right. Um, with ninety nine sheets of plywood and twenty gallons of wood stain and paint. Um, wow. It was on. It was unveiled this Saturday. Uh, da, da, da. And it also features a four hundred pound planchette, which is the thing that you slide around. Oh yeah! You can actually like so you can actually like slide. do it. It's four hundred pounds, but yeah, you can you can physically slide it. Um, here's a picture. It's enormous. Oh wow! Okay, so that just what's that thing called? A planchette. Planchette. Okay, yeah. so just that has like ten people surrounding it. Oh yeah, or something. It's, yeah, oh, more and than they're 10, all standing. Yeah. And there's like you can't even see the board in the photo, basically, because it's like yeah, or the, the whole of it. it. Yeah, because it's just so big. Wow. Yeah. Apparently, there was another board that this was beating the record of, which was only one thousand three hundred and two square feet, um, which was constructed in 2016 on the roof of the Grand Midway Hotel in Windbear. Uh, Pennsylvania. Huh. So they uh wow. pretty well trounced that record. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I wonder what inspired this guy to do this. I I do not I know. I know how I want to spend the next year of my life. <laughs> Making yeah. the biggest Ouija board ever. They they did not suggest his motivation. <laughs> but uh I'm just wondering if a bunch of people are gonna go actually try to like use it. That'd be funny. I just the name Rich Shrek. <laughs> this is better than poor Shrek. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Okay, I found a story on UPI that's also a Guinness World Record, which I noticed there was a bunch of stuff about that, so they must have just announced something. So maybe at some point in another episode we can go through like a list of cool <laughs> things or something like that. But yeah. this is the oldest sloth ever known a 50 year old sloth living in a german zoo is officially the oldest known member of her species wow 50 years old that's Mm -hmm. really old um the sloth is named paula she's a two-toed sloth she was caught in the wild in south america um and was estimated to be about two years old when she was found basically Mm -hmm. and brought to a zoo um and officials said that sloths typically live about 20 years in the wild, and they average 30 to 40 years in captivity. Okay. So, so she's, she's like 10 years. Yeah, she's like 10 years over like the normal max range in captivity. And Good for Paula. And 30 years over what oh, <laughs> someone in the or like a uh, sloth in the wild would normally live. Yeah. So, yeah, and uh, she's actually pretty cute for a 50 year old. For sloth. an elderly sloth. Ah, sticking out her tongue. Yeah. She's Is that a fun photo? I turn my head upside down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories and, of course, all the pictures and videos we wanted you to watch uh, will be in the episode description. Uh, you can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever other app you use to listen to your podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash News and on Twitter at, at Knickknack News. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. We don't want your money, wasps. <laughs>